Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 58, Act 2, Alex Santiago Herao, Processing the Collective Scars, recorded October 16th, 2022. Screaming about a revocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow the lives aloud Are the only roads you can see Just remember the walls were built to fall For old people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. This is the final episode of Teaching Artistry's fifth season. That's right, five. And listenership is up. That means that we have surpassed the listenership from the past two seasons, and I'm hoping the past three. And that ultimately means the last two or three years, which is great. We thank you so much for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community and for choosing this indie podcast. We love and appreciate you. And we can't wait to do more in the coming year. So... Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or we can be heard on any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and head over to teachingartistry.org to access guest bios, episodes, our video series, merch, and more. What happens when culture eats strategy? This is a quote uh, I've heard from several different sources, um, but the concept is you can have all the strategy, you know, you want, but if you don't actually shift the culture, the culture will dominate ultimately and eat the strategy. So I'm going to talk from an insider outsider perspective um, about Broadway uh, so it seems like the strategy in Broadway is to produce plays, musicals, etc., with a more um, diverse stories, performers, creative teams, featuring stories and celebrations of communities that have been historically marginalized, like BIPOC um, folk, uh, people from the disability community, etc., And there has been uh, a string of recent openings and very quick closings this season. And this season is, we're only like halfway through, not even halfway through the season. So K-pop, I'm going to name some K-pop. This, this open, it had a preview and then it opened and then closed 
very, very quickly. Um, I think within no, no more than two weeks was it open. Um, and this was featuring Korean and Korean American performers. Um, Ain't no mo. It, this is a, a piece that um, uh, asks the, the sort of futuristic question of what if the U S actually provided or awarded reparations and provided a one-way ticket to the motherland, um, Africa. Um, and, uh, that was supposed to run, uh, through February of next year. And, uh, it's closing this weekend, uh, literally opened last week or two weeks, two weeks ago. Um, and then there's a couple other examples from this season, like, you know, a lot of the work from that plays at the public has the potential to transfer. And there was a production of a raisin in the sun that, um, you know, had gotten a lot of buzz and then got a lukewarm, um, non glowing review. And that seemed to be an obstacle to even consider a transfer. Um, and there's a lot of conversation around that. And then last year, um, there was a remount of four colored girls, um, which was scheduled had it had a limited run, but then it closed before um, its scheduled date um, end date. And then there have been others that have are still running on Broadway, but like definitely had wobbly starts. Let's put it that way. And so here's my question again, as an insider outsider question. This is a trend. We are noticing a very clear trend. What is the culture of Broadway? the culture. Uh, I would say that the culture lies with the power, AKA the money. And that ultimately is the producers of both the productions themselves and the theater, you know, industry, the commercial theater industry itself in New York city. And you know, then there's touring and all that. But, um, so, you know, I, I think we can all be clear knowing that, you know, if you recall, we see you white American theater um, and the indoctrination of, 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 you know, wanting to enact real concrete, concretized change um, and other um, beautiful organizations like um, Black Theater United. And um, there's another one that's, um, I'm going to, I might butcher it, uh, Broadway um, for racial justice. Um, these are organizations that really are having concrete conversations and trying to make an impact change. But, you know, ultimately it all comes down to that, you know, capitalistic capitalism is what drives. And we know that white supremacy and capitalism go hand in hand and capitalism loves to like, you know, hug, uh, white patriarchal, uh, uh, tendencies. So, you know, who, who can Broadway be for? Who does Broadway want Broadway to be for? Are questions that are coming up for me. Uh, could it be for everyone? Have they really been trying to change, um, the culture? It, it feels like just from this trend, not so much like thinking about money. Are they actually putting the same amount of effort in terms of advertising like they are with the music man, to a nomo or more are they subsidizing in fact you know they did try um for that particular production to subsidize the ticket sales so that people who again historically haven't necessarily seen themselves represented don't necessarily think that broadway is for them for a host of reasons um i would say one obstacle might be the ticket price <laughs> um like what are the strategies 
that are changing the culture, not just, you know, this, what could potentially feel like performative uh, action. Right. So there's a lot of questions that I have and I'm not in that part of the field. However, I need to track it. And this takes me to me and Alex um, having a conversation. So in this conclusion of the conversation, uh, we do continue to chat about theater of the oppressed. And then we start to dig into concepts of how theater can go beyond being transactional. I am loving this conversation. I hope you are too. Here is episode 58, act two, Alexander Santiago Hirao, processing the collective scars. I never studied theater really oppressed, but you're giving me very um, strong language uh, for my class because I mean, we're not, I, um, it's not a curriculum class necessarily, but it, it, it's, a, it's the teaching artist. So I do a lot of modeling and I, and I try to create a lot of space, space for d- democratized conversation and um, like not having to talk just to me, but to talk to each other. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a, there was a, a question that clearly triggered a, a student and they went on this like monologue that, you know, was it's a little surprising, but it also was like, I hope they feel safe enough to say that, like they're saying it. So they must feel safe enough to say it. But it, it but then, you know, what was happening was it was a peer who was leading the group. And so I paused that person. I was like, you don't need to respond to this. That's okay. And I said, you know, this, and so we have a set of agreements and I said, this is, this is number one. We're creating brave space, which is brave listening and brave sharing. And I appreciate your sharing and I appreciate you all for bravely listening. And then we moved on because I was like, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> no. And that's, that totally, and that, as you can imagine that happens to me all the time. It happens to me in classes where we're like, really like dealing with it. And so much of it is, you know, you can't do theater of the oppressed unless you have gone through the experience, through the activities for yourself and for your own liberation. And that is something that it's really destabilizing from the get-go to some students because they come in because they want to be facilitators of this work, not because they think of themselves as oppressed people in the world. <laughs> right. And, and, I say, and I say to them, um, hello, hello, <laughs> you're oppressed. Now don't go into communities and say to people, <laughs> we're yeah. just cut into the chase here. You know, the fact that I'm your teacher and your students, that means that there's a power relationship here. You're oppressed. (laughs) You're You're oppressed. Mm -hmm. So we, so part of, you know, and that comes directly from Freire, which is the, you know, the other, you know, Brazilian in the room, right? Because Boal was influenced tremendously by the work of Paulo Freire and Pedagogy of the Oppressed and Theater of the Oppressed is named in homage to Pedagogy Mm -hmm. of the Oppressed. So, and we know that popular and critical education the goal of it is for the student to be at the center, but also for the student to to really become aware of the way in which they are oppressed in the world. And then not only reflect on that oppression, but activate themselves to do something about it, right? So the role of education is the activation of the individual as part of a collective so that we can change what we know is happening intellectually, you know? Um, So, it, you know, it happens all the time. It's destabilizing for students to, to, to first have to work on themselves and the things that 
are important and bothering them and you know the ways they're present the and then they have to wear the hat of like if i were to facilitate this how do i facilitate it um <clears throat> and they've never facilitated it <laughs> so yeah. most, most haven't facilitated it um so it, it it it's 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 difficult um but i get questions all the time about it because um we want to be comfortable facility okay. want to be comfortable but no um and um because comfort has become for teachers and facilitators the the feeling that they're doing well <laughs> which is quite the opposite right when when shit's going down that's what we're doing the work <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I, it's so interesting to hear you talk about because I'm just I'm thinking about that particular one and what I do, what I've been doing in this, in my class is like you are going, you know, like we all need to examine our own positional power, right? And so I'm going in the opposite direction of like you're oppressed, but but like more like what what let's look at certain identities and understanding how close certain of our identities are closer to power and privilege and others that are not. And that, that is not to say that, you know, if you have a lot towards one or the other, that there's something wrong. It's just, we need to be more, we need to acknowledge it. We need to be more cognizant of it. And then think about what that means when I go into any learning space, I'm bringing all these things. I have to be aware of all these things and I can't assume anything about any of the people that I'm working with. But if I'm able to be more true to and authentically understanding who I am and what my identities are walking into that space, there's going to be, I'm going to be able to create space for discovery, for, for um, common ground setting for, you know, not necessarily the safest space, but a safer, a softer, you know, space for everybody to be able to create and feel excited to do so. Exactly. You know, to create a place of belonging. And um, so it's just interesting that I, I, that, that particular session went the opposite direction. And, you know, one of the things that I say to folks is that, you know, when you do this work, you're going to be invited to work with, most of the time you're going to be invited to work with communities that are not your own. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my work as a theater of the oppressed practitioner, I have worked with um, immigrant communities and dreamers and undocumented, you know, you know, undocumented youth and adults, training them to use its techniques to work with their community and to galvanize their community. Uh, you know, my experience is not the one, you know, as a Puerto Rican, perhaps culturally, but you know, not legally of that of an immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not an undocumented person um, or was, right? And, you know, Puerto Ricans are American citizens by birth. And there's another conversation about what, okay. what the value of our citizenship, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's another political conversation. But, um, and also I'm a queer person and I have worked with um, queer youth. Um, you know, a lot of my work has been with queer youth in queer spaces, but I am older of a different generation and we might self-identify as queer, but my version of, of queer is very different than the version of some of these young people. And my experiences were different and their experience. So I don't enter any space and, you know, necessarily um, get to say, you know, we share all of it, you know? Um, so it's really about creating the space 
for co-teaching and co-learning mm. um, where I'm just creating the structure where they can drive the car, you know, and do the thing that they want to um, do. Um, yeah, and, and that has been the, 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 I think the defining factor in my career, that ability to work with many different folks from many different walks of life. So, you know, working with immigrants, working with students, with teachers, working with elders. You know, a lot of my work now at New York Theater Workshop, it's intergenerational work with um, teens and elders together in the room to have dialogue about the world, the flagship program, the flagship education program at New York Theater Workshop is a program called Mind the Gap <clears throat> that brings together teens and elders, teens between the ages of 14 and 19, and elders 60 years of age and up. And we have two versions of the program, one which is a playwriting program where the, the, the teens and the elders come together, they do theater games and writing activities and they read the work of playwrights and um, they interview each other extensively and have a lot of dialogue and midway through the program they get paired with someone of a different generation that it's going to be their final project partner and they go further and they interview them further <clears throat> and they each write a play inspired by the other person that pays homage to the other person, might share some of the stories that they've heard from the other person, but has their own artistic voice, right? So it's not verbatim theater. It's not, tell me your story and I'll translate it into, from prose to, to dialogue. And then we invite professional actors to read those plays. And then there's another version of that program, which is devising. And the, the group of teens and elders write scenes and monologues and movement pieces and um, individually and collectively. And then we devise a performance together and they perform their own work. Um, cool. The radical element there is that we have teens and elders collaborating on stage together, which is something that we don't often see. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, we've done that work in New York City and then we've done it in London, we've done it in Chile, we've done it in other states of the country. So, and that, that I teach regularly, the, the devising, the devising um, version of my version, yeah. I was going to ask how, how, how the theater of oppressed work inter, intermingles with your work at the workshop, but mm -hmm. the, this, it, 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 does it, or is it inside that mind the gap or, or other? Yeah, or, I think it's inside, yeah. it's inside. Um, I've done master classes or, you know, workshops in theater of the oppressed at the workshop. Um, but don't get to don't get to do them often. But I think it's integrated in our approach to residencies. Certainly, popular education is integrated in our approach to residencies. Um, a lot of our teaching artists have trained with me. <laughs> we're like, were your students or my students at NYU? Not all of them. You know, we have a roster of twenty four teaching artists and a bunch of new folks. But a bunch of them know me or took workshops with me. Um, uh, but I think more broadly, rather than the techniques, um, it's in it's in the philosophy and the approach and the the ethos and the values of theater of the oppressed um, and the work that we've been doing at the workshop and equity, diversity, and inclusion, right? Um, for years, you know, even before the pandemic or before, you know, um, the murder of George Floyd that sort of galvanized, you know, 
the world we, you know, or even before it was called equity, diversity and inclusion. We yeah. had sort of been doing that work at the workshop um, the for artists of color, both um, on stage and the work that we produce and also our developmental programs. So that has always sort of been that ethos that has always been integrated. And we've made a lot of mistakes. The institution has made a lot of mistakes and, um, and we're trying to be as transparent as possible with it. But in my own work, that's that has always been part of the work. You know, um, at the workshop, we tend to work with schools in the outer boroughs, you know, some of the schools that are really far away, a lot of the schools in the Bronx, a lot of, you know, um, with lack of access to resources. Um, so institutionally, also, the, you know, the, the workshop is in the East Village, in the Lower East Side. It's, we have hyper-local engagement as well, <clears throat> just uh, as an institution. And so we have created a lot of uh, community-based programs um, that address marginalized communities. We have a relationship with PEN America in their Dreaming Out Loud program, uh, which is a, a writing program for undocumented um, or immigrant uh, students. Um, and we have a playwriting seminar for, um, for immigrant students. We have partnered with um, uh, veteran organizations or organizations that serve veterans of color or queer veterans, and we've also done writing classes with them, um, partner with uh, other smaller nonprofits and other in, in other boroughs, you know, uptown, the to just do theater, right, um, and classes with them. We just started a partnership with Brooklyn Public Library to do Mind the Gap programs um, there as well, sort of to reach yeah. Uh, into the boroughs. So it, it all, for me, it's always been about how can theater be of service mm. to the community? How can theater have value beyond a production? And how do we do an invitation to our theater and our work that doesn't feel transactional, right? That it doesn't feel about like, well, the reason I'm knocking on your door is because we have this show that represents your community, <laughs> right? Um, mm. Folks all of air quotes, um, represents your community, you should come and see the show. Here's a discount or here's a, a free ticket. That that it's it's like, how can the work, if you wanted to work with us, how can the workshop, how can be an asset to the community? How can it help the community develop growth and address the things that they want to address? I love that. I feel like the more you talk about the workshop the more and and your role in it and how you you view the the different um pr program models that you have it just it feels very um even though it's been around for a long time and it's well established it still feels like clear it, it's showing it's clear grassroots do you yeah. know what i mean um and that feels very exciting to to hear um, as somebody who works for a, a very large organization in Times Square, that that like, let's reach out to the local community is not quite 
it's it's like the Broadway community. Right, <laughs> you right, know right. what I mean? Like that's our community. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's just a slightly different way of thinking, you know, through education. Yes, we are getting into the outer boroughs and we have partnerships and those things are sl- are happening um and they they the want is for them to feel organically happening. Yeah. But I I am also very much interested in continuing to to engage ourselves in these kinds of conversations about how can our programming go beyond the tickets to a show and and engagement around a show because we have a lot of inspiration around ensemble theater making performance um devising that can have um it can be inspiration for other ways of, of working in the performing arts. Um, and so, and that provides potentially a, a wider range of ways that different kinds of schools with different kinds of interests might want to work with us. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking from a school perspective because that's my, my portfolio, but e- even broader than any, you know, anybody who could potentially be engaged with the theater, it doesn't, you know, we so, because of the way we started, we're so integrally about like, you know, inviting people in to see the works on our stage, which is a great mission. It's not that I want to change the mission. I just want to expand it. And I think that our mission having adjusted um, from what it was to like, we want to make sure that the, um, we believe that the performing arts (laughs) should be a vital part. I might, it might say live, but I'm taking I'm taking the live out because there's different ways to engage in the performing arts and we have that opportunity, and yeah, you know yeah. like there's so anyway you're just you're you're inspiring me. This is what I'm saying. That's ultimately what I'm saying. I mean, in a in a way, we're sort of lucky that um, the workshop is also on East Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we're right across from La Mama. The entire block yeah. is crowded with you know arts institutions. You know, gentrification is the thing that <laughs> yeah. That, continues to plague you know plague I should say the 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 the, the city but yes the, the East Village you know some people would disagree with me obviously because you know if you're an old school person the East Village is no longer <laughs> what it used to be but it's I mean it's changed considerably but I still feel like yeah there's these mainstays that ho- hopefully will honor the past as things tend to move forward i'm not even saying progressed but just move forward (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but i was what i was gonna say is that during the summer months um every thursday Mm -hmm. from i think it's may through october we close the street and they um this is uh hosted by fab the four arts block um, initiative that that serves the block and a number of arts cultural organizations in the in the in the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. So they manage that program, but um, we're always doing cultural activities outside on the street Thursdays. And so one of the things that we do is that <clears throat> before the pandemic, we used to do open open mics or open mic nights or open salons for artists in the community to come and do slam poetry or read a play or sing a song or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so we've moved them outside. So now we have the open salons outside and we partner with poetic theater productions to do open mics. And, and, um, and it's an opportunity to invite the artists from the community to share their art at New York Theater Workshop on our block mm-hmm. um, so that not only the artists in our so-called community of artists are the ones that are working their craft, but our community can have access to that space as well. I love that. I love that. 
have a few more questions yeah. as we wind down. I did want to just learn. Um, we sort of skipped back. Uh, we, I paused you and I didn't go back around um, your work at Center for Arts Education. Yes. What did you do there? So, <clears throat> yeah. So after after Russell Grant had said, you should apply. Um, he was saying that I should apply for um, a, a program associate position within the career development program at the center. The center, uh, uh, it's not an independent nonprofit anymore. Now it's part of a partnership with children. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then, <clears throat> um, the center um, was predominantly a, a, a re-granting organization. The, 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 the center received about $30 million from the Annenberg Foundation that then were dispersed into schools uh, for, you know, that to basically bring back arts education in schools. And <clears throat> there were all sorts of grant levels and there was professional development attached to those grants. And later on, the center received federal funding for research uh, and dissemination work um, in middle schools that had little to no arts education and provide residencies and professional development to teachers, to principals, and then do the research and <clears throat> see if the arts, you know, had had an impact on attendance and academics, which was the only thing that the federal department was interested at the time in terms of metrics. Um, but um, the the center had been uh, given uh, uh, resources over the years by the Pinkerton Foundation to create this uh, internship program for high school youth in the creative industries, um, and it was a training program, and uh, we would prepare the students and then place them um, in internships all around the city, from architecture firms to film companies to theater companies to fashion houses, you name it. Um, and it was, an, it was within the teaching and learning department or the programs department at the time, but it had an, an, a director and an associate. And I started as the senior program associate for the career development program, <clears throat> working with youth and, and, and placing them all over in the city. And then as folks, you know, moved out of positions, I became the, the associate director for the career development program. And then as there was another reorganization of the organization and we shifted from being a re-granting organization into an advocacy organization, um, advocating for arts education in New York City and New York State to also being a programming organization, I became the associate director of teaching and learning. And so at that point, we were um, starting a roster of teaching artists. So I started our roster of teaching artists at the center in all of the arts disciplines. So I recruited and employed a lot of folks. By the time I left, we had like 125 teaching artists in all of the disciplines. Yeah, it was crazy. And partnerships at over 200 schools. Um, <clears throat> so it was quite... Uh, time and an education for me, both in terms of um, arts education policy in New York City nationally, and then of course, you know, programming in in, in schools, mm -hmm. predominantly elementary and, and and middle school, and then I I continued to run the the high school program for career development. Right. 
so that's you know that's that was that's more my work at the center and then when the opportunity you know i i, I wasn't the, the director of teaching and learning wasn't going anywhere <laughs> there was no more mobility for me I had been there for quite a while and i wanted to be by this point, I had gone to graduate school. I was really interested in, in being a director of education at a producing theater. And when the opportunity came at New York Theater Workshop, I just couldn't pass it along because it was the theater that was doing the kind of work artistically and politically that I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. And then it became with the it came with the challenge of, okay, there's no real department. Right, building your <laughs> hiring you to, you know, there was a the um and so that's what I've been doing for the last eight years. And, and look at all the things that you've done in the last eight years. It's it's really remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy, you know, to think about it. Now we have, you know, for many years, um, the 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 um, the workshop had an internship program, really robust, but it was unpaid, like many other internship programs around the city, um, and we knew that only some kind of people could have access to those unpaid internship programs. Um, and so we always wanted to do a, uh, a paid fellowship program. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when the Theater Subdistrict Council funding came through, which I think New Vic was also a part of for your, for, well, we jump on board and we already had the design of the program because we had been envisioning what it would take us to do it, you know? And so we received funding for two, for one year and then the Theater Sub District Council did half the funding for the second year because we all said, well, we need more yeah. to sustain it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that we have continued the program. We're actually now entering our sixth cohort of fellows. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a big program. You know, it's like a you know, two hundred seventy-five thousand. You know, it's more money than a production, a small production. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a workshop. You know what I mean? And worth it for having impact on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, we. I think yeah, you're right. The new the new victory had um, built a fellowship program um, where the feeder or the pipeline is coming through our youth core or our ushers who have a specific interest in an arts career. And so it's, it's a, a step into having um, an opportunity for gaining experience to be able to do the kind of work that they're interested in and, or learn about the work that they might be interested in. And so it was, it was, uh, so our program is also continued um, throughout the years and so many, I, I don't know the percentages because I don't run that particular program myself, but um, we have a strong number of um, fellows who have then become uh, have gone on to careers and or gotten hired as full time staff at the, yeah. the new victory and thrive or they you know they're they're with us and then they find you know a really great opportunity and that's exactly what we want mm -hmm. um, and it's 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 really it's really uh, I think a wonderful um, and I think Roundabout, right? Roundabout had a similar fellowship in technical theater, and then yeah. our two organizations—I don't know about their if their place, but their 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 fellows get placed as crew at other organizations, including yeah. the New Victory, and that to me has been amazing. Yeah. Like I just love that yeah. intersection. Yeah, we've hired some of their fellows at Roundabout to be on our crews, mm -hmm. and then we have our own scenic shop. 
at the workshop, which is right across the street in our own costume shop. And they have come and helped with load in and, and toured the space or even have some workshops in the space. Yeah, but I think that the, the, you hit the nail right on the head in that to me, the value of, of the fellowship and the education program is if we can actually give this participants tangible skills that then they can turn mm -hmm. into a full-time gig. And we've been really, really lucky that the graduates of that, the fellowship program have gone on to, you know, careers in the arts um, within institutions um, or uh, in freelance. Um, yeah, we just, uh, you know, one of our fellows got her first Broadway producing credit this year. Wow. Yeah, so it's been, you know, and like her, there's, you know, many other folks that, you know, have gone to wonderful careers, you oh. know, you know. Oh, yeah. One of my education fellows is now a drama teacher. So yeah, and then there's so many, you know, there's some, there's, you know, and we've hired quite a few graduates, you know, our current artistic coordinator is a past fellow, our current marketing associate is a past fellow, our current assistant production manager is a past fellow, and before her, two other mm -hmm. former fellows were assistant production managers. We had a special projects associate within the executive team that was a fellow, he just left us. Yeah. Um, so that has been, it's been a pipeline for jobs within the organization and then for and then, other organizations. You know, we, you know, we have former fellows being employed at the Signature Theater, the Drama League, um, <clears throat> at agencies, you know, uh, the list goes on. You had mentioned applied theater. What is applied theater and how is it different from theater of the oppressed or other kinds of work yeah i mean i think applied theater is a, is a is a term that has been coined in the academy right as a, as a, as a way to sort of bring together all of these techniques that where um where theater is literally applied in other contexts that are not the traditional theatrical context it could be in communities it could be in other fields of theory. um so it's it's the application of from an academic perspective, it's sort of the application of theater within other contexts to both advance, you know, whatever the goal of those contexts is, um, and hopefully the artistry if it's balanced and well done. Um, I, you know, you know, I have written about my work, you know, um, and been published in it. So in a way, I sort of sometimes feel like I look at the work also from the academy, but I like to think of my work in communities as theater making in community settings. <laughs> to me, that is what applied theater is. It's about the use of theater in a community space to engage with the goals and desires of a community, um, however you define that community. Um, uh, so it can, it's, it's, it's an understanding that theater is the most humanistic of art forms. It, it, it's, it's a form that allows us to see ourselves in action, reflecting, learning, right? And implementing ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and because we're really present within, you know, you have to be present within the theatrical space in order to do theater. You know, that is a quality that, that serves us well as humans in the world to be present and and reflective and think about the ways that we can activate those reflections 
it's what it's what practice to me it's just sort of the the best form of praxis right which is that constant cycle of action and reflection um so it's activated it's activated it's theater where it, where it's most needed in my opinion earlier you said something about um liberation work mm-hmm. and um I have, I've asked this question in 2020. I asked this question periodically for certain guests, um, around, um, you know, what could a potential, what potentially could a liberated and, um, racially or or just world look like? And that's such a lofty (laughs) question. Um, and as I was trying to figure like, how do I ask that question now? And I think, based off of what you said around theater of the oppressed and the idea that you just talked about, like that theater is a tool for exploring the world, exploring the internal oppressions, external oppressions, political, and knowing that we continuously are in uh, uh, a global, a global society that is incredibly um violent and um you know hoards power or tries to hoard hoard power through violence um and yet there's also this other conversation global conversation i think that is about um liberation and rest and reparations and healing and so i don't know exactly what my question is right now but like how do these two things do you think how do these two things that are currently coexisting or existing at the same time let's put it that way (laughs) existing at the same time something that you said about the scars not the open wounds right okay if we're if we're to process things uh traumas um on an individual basis and and i think part of what your work does is asks people to think about what their spheres of influence are and how they would like to make change. And potentially theater is one uh, powerful tool amongst others that could be a part of that change making. So if people were to do that work more regularly or more widespread, you know, how, what is, where are we trying to go? What are, what are we trying to get to? Yeah. What could it yeah. possibly look like? That's the work that I, tr- the envisioning work that I try to do every year, every day. How would it look? You know what I mean? And I always feel like we, I fall short and we fall short because our imagination is underdeveloped. You know, like we're so constrained by, you know, by, by the circumstances of the world. But in the, I think that that's what it's, be, that's what we're asking ourselves on a regular basis is, theater makers and practitioners how can we be uh how can we call people in how can we be uh better community members um um and how can we um have a, a, a an ecosystem a, a, a theater community that it's more equitable and inclusive the nonprofit model for theater production in this country is broken <laughs> You know, for arts education, the nonprofit model is broken, right? Because what happens is um, that it just, in a way, the pie for resources, it's so small (laughs) 
for the arts and for education that we're constantly there's a sense that we're competing with each other you know what i mean mm -hmm. rather than um really building together and uplifting each other's work mm -hmm. right and so that happens because i think unfortunately the the arts are not valued in our capitalist system and in, in our country the way that they should be valued and so I, you know i would love to see a world where you know where arts are funded equitably and supported and valued um for communities, regardless of geography and location, um, and um, invested in properly, um, so that folks that want to work in the arts can work in the arts for living wages. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, you know, I would hope to envision a world where that is happening. And of course, that's within the arts. And I think art artists are, you know, the 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 goal of the artist is to through that imaginative work to imagine the world we want to see and, and, and try to help us create it. And so I also want to see a world where, where we are, you know, facing our past and our history and, you know, as you say before, really having honest conversations about the trauma and the harm that has been caused on communities. Um, that is still present and um, to talk openly about investing in those communities that that have suffered the brunt of historical trauma, you know, and colonialism and racism. And so we I, I want to see a world where that is addressed in order for us to move forward. You know what I mean? It feels like, you know, we just 2020 was a, you know, obviously a transformational year where we we're all galvanized in a moment and um and it was um a beautiful moment too for those of us doing the work um at the workshop because our fellows um we were all at home we were all working on zoom the protests had started in the aftermath of george floyd's murder and our fellows came to us and said they felt comfortable and open enough and they felt that the, that the theater was that space and they had developed their leadership that they said, oh, what if we open our lobby <laughs> to protesters and offer snacks and PP, you know, E and whatever, you know, whatever it's called, you know, yeah, and, um, and chargers and bathrooms <clears throat> and we won't let the police in. And we thought about it for a second and said, oh, you, you are absolutely right. That is actually living our, <clears throat> our values. Yeah. And we did that. And, and that started a movement, you know, uh, the open your lobby movement and theaters all around the country started opening their lobbies. So I want to see that. I want to see, <clears throat> you know, creative minds, young people that, that, take on the leadership to come up with bold, innovative ideas to transform our spaces into more <clears throat> generous and open spaces. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's, it is unfortunately something that 
we learned, you know, but we're coming back from it. Yeah. And it seems that people have started to forget. <clears throat> and the old ways are sort of in general, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, I, I would love a world where more accessibility in general, you know? Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, my, my next question was to ask questions. You said that, you know, before George Floyd's murder, y'all were, were at this, at the workshop, were doing this work well before this, before it, you know, the sort of coined DEI or DEIB or JEDI, whatever, <laughs> all the different um, acronyms for this work and, and, and how DEIB uh, sorry, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging are are um, intersectional with anti-racism and that it's not the same thing. That is That in and of itself, that conversation has taken a long time for people to understand they are not the same thing. It's anti-blackness, right? Not just anti-racism, but anti-blackness. Yeah, anti-blackness, exactly. And, um, and I agree with you. I feel like, you know, we all very many of us, not all of us, but many of us tried to do something to respond and be more forward leaning. And it was hard and we definitely made mistakes and, you know, and, and people were trying, but I think people were also tired. Like 2021 was hard. Yeah. Uh, and cause we thought we were coming back and then things got harder. And I think yeah. this year we're just trying to get back, like meaning get back like business, but, but have we changed? Um, I think the conversation has absolutely changed. I want, I want us to see and do more um, as a field. I think things are definitely happening, but that what you were describing earlier about like lifting up that sort of, you know, scarcity model that gets created by a capitalist society um, and system. Um, I, I feel that creeping in, in, in certain ways. Um, and I'm, I'm, I would like to push against that in general. And I, I, str I struggle with, with that from a, from an institutional perspective as, as when I see people wanting to do it, but they want leadership to do it. They really want leadership to lead this work and that, and, and if the leadership isn't quite ready to do that or able to do that or, or wants to do that, whatever that may be, um, what I've been proud of is that while we we were going down we were working with you know a certain group um we've tried to do other kinds of uh we, we're trying to tackle it from multiple levels and um i do feel like things are are progressing in a nice way i just want it to be faster but <laughs> faster and i want i want to understand more i want to learn more i want to be more clear um and and but i i feel i feel positive i just don't want us to yeah to like let it yes i don't i don't I, mm -hmm. I i agree absolutely that you know much progress has been made and it and it's it's a i just don't want us to get stalled i i i totally hear that i totally hear that and i think that's why i feel like because of the what you've described as your experience your passions your work your knowledge um you know, what you stand for. That's why I was like, Ooh, Alex feels like it. I feel very inspired by how you talk about this work. Um, when we were just talking from a, from a programmatic perspective. And yeah. now I'm just curious, like what are some of the other things that, that 
you have done that you felt like have, um, and I don't want to use the word successful, but you feel like have moved the needle um, and have created a more inclusive place of belonging for uh, within your institution? Well, you know, uh, we have worked hard to, to uh, within the institution to create affinity spaces where people can be themselves and, um, and a culture of accountability and, um, you know, all of us nearly participated in a conflict um, in a culture of conf conflict resolution um, of really addressing issues when they bubble up and having transparent conversations. You know, the, the old thing was like, well, not talk about it, sweep it under the rug, no. pretend it will die down. And now we just, the things, moment things, you know, the, the moment things arise, we, we, we address it. Um, for me, that's wonderful because it comes out of my background in theater of the oppressed too, which is like, no, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's, you know, let's problem solve. Let's, you know, um, yeah, it's a culture of calling people in, uh, of, of belonging, of, of authenticity, um, you know, of respect, you know, um, and constant learning, right? And kindness and compassion and um, grace towards those that are learning. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, central to me in an educational space that if I'm asking folks to learn um, to do the work that I'm going to respect their progress right and 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 really honor um, you know you know not necessarily give up on people and not necessarily you know not challenge them but really honor their their humanity you know that has been really transformational to the point of of, you know, you know, I remember going to work in other environments where I just didn't feel like I could be my full self or, you know, I, I feel like I did, you know, I didn't feel like I could have certain conversations or, um, and I just don't feel like that at the workshop. I, I mean, I don't think this is something that we, it has been a, a community effort, you know, um, but I would say that from an education perspective, we have done, I have done a lot of work to talk about multiple modalities of learning <laughs> and about the many different ways that we all learn and to talk about our communities and our students and, 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 to, and to talk about the importance of the work that they do in theater in their lives and that we have to carve space in the stories that we tell about the institution for the stories of our communities. So that it's not that that is that is not just about the production, that it's also about the programs and the people within those programs. Um, so that has been really wonderful to me that that um, yeah, and now we have a, a youth ensemble that that is uh, starting back in person, um, creating work around um, issues that are affecting them and some social justice issues. So, so we'll see. We'll produce our first production in, in, uh, in April at our 4th Street Theater. 
So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, but that is a program that we started during the pandemic in 2020. We started virtually with 25 kids from across the country because we were hearing from schools that students are home and they miss putting on the show. Yeah. And um, we started it um, online and, and now we are in person. Last question. Yeah. Do, do you have anything that you want to talk about or questions for me? Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. I, this was my pleasure. Thank you so much. How was that? How was the conversation? It was, it was great. It was great. You don't have any questions for me? You don't have anything you want to ask me? I guess I will, you know, have the same question is like in, in your work, what, what is it that you feel sort of mo- most proud of that you feel it's moving the needle? It's, I guess it's the same question that you asked me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the things that um, we were so, I've talked to about this earlier about how our partnership program, which is our largest program, our education program, um, uh, struggled when we didn't have shows on the stage. I mean, we had, we still worked with schools, but not to the same levels. And we were able to apply a lot of the way that we create content to some sort of like artistic process and being inspired by different, the first year was being inspired by different um, uh, artists that were sort of, that we've presented before in the past and their artistic processes and that we would be inspired by that and create as well. And um, initially when the, when the, uh, pandemic hit we uh, thought well let's create some resources for teachers we'll do videos obviously so we translated a lot of our work into video work and um, so there was the arts breaks but um, those were made for everybody and not from a school context and then we bought we basically created all these different works that we had already sort of thought about but hadn't had the capacity or the the need I guess to make so we we wanted to make sure we had something for every sort of eight or the widest age range so we created a guide that had um uh, activities for early arts learners we had the arts breaks and then we had um we had been working with Ping Chong and company to develop a guide called Generation U which is um based off of their undesirable elements work with um interview based theater and so we took their um, their work around the generation um, suite that they were creating for us. They had created NYZ, and then they had also opened our season last year with a new piece called Generation Rise, res- you know, young New Yorkers responding to the pandemic and to George Floyd's murder. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we had these these non show based materials and and um, ways of looking at the uh, of engaging kids in the arts and then uh and then we decided to create something that was a little bit more um not like fully social justice but social issue based um and so we uh the first year we did a celebrating or an honoring uh juneteenth and then that, that over time evolved into um a uh, like an umbrella title called speak up act out using theater as a tool to explore um, uh, social issues for middle and high school students. And we partnered with the Lilies and 24 hour plays to do a specific program around their Lorraine Hansberry initiative. Um, and so we developed that content in the 21, 22 season, sorry, no, the 2021 season. 
And then the following year, we did an application where we had um, middle, middle and high school students could apply to be a part of an event that was to be pro- like where their works that they developed, either monologues or scenes, would be performed and filmed by professional artists, similar to to the program that you're talking about. Uh, I can't remember the which one. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Yeah, similar to that, except it's not interview based. Um, and so that was really exciting. So we we launched that event. Was part of their um, the, the 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 top of the whole um, Lorraine Hansberry initiative. Um, project launching at the tony like the tony's weekend and the uh, the statue in duffy square so uh, and we had eight young people and they were all middle schoolers and so we and cute and we had this like lovely event at the theater so it was one of our first you know that it was the first time an education-based event was happening that wasn't like tied to a show and it, was, and it was pushing us in this, like, you know, how do we think about being anti-Black? And how do we think about engaging um, young people around, you know, social issues by being inspired by an artist's work and their revolutionary activism? So that work is moving forward. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if we're going to be able to have an event this this year, but we are working to develop, further develop, like, a residency-based program that then could have two potential showings, two threads of a showing. One could be at the school, like a school festival of the student works. And that could be peers or teaching artists who are performing the pieces. Um, and then working with the 24 hour plays to continue to um, create an, a, an external facing or a public facing event. So that's still in the works, but we're literally in the middle of developing the content. We were talking about liberation work. We were talking about like, how can we be inspired? Like if, if we use Lorraine as like the the spark point, like can we bring in works by f- people that she was influenced by, like James Baldwin and other writers um, as, a, as a spark point for them to write? So that's where we are right now. I don't know where it's going to go, <laughs> but the artists are super cool and great. And I'm, I, so I'm excited about that, that project. I think it could be that's something. Very yeah, yeah. Very, very, uh, green. And I mean, evergreen. And, it, and I like that it gets more and more and more embedded into the foundational program of the partnership. So it really, and I love the idea of like expanding and reaching more folks, you know, yeah, exactly. for, a long, for a long time, we've been trying to, to, um, to expand the mind the gap program because a lot of people come knocking on our door saying can i do the, can you bring can we do yeah and we can't be everywhere and no not everybody has the resources but you know in the in the spirit of you know the 52nd project for example that you know there's a curriculum that could be implemented and people can receive support and, and, and instruction around the country and internationally, we're thinking about it. You know, we were thinking about what that expansion would be mm-hmm. in 2020. And there was a feature of Mind the Gap in the Today Show in January oh. 2020. And then the world went to hell in a handbasket. So now we're coming back to thinking about what does it mean to, you know, to grow this program, scale it, and what a, what's the menu of kind of mind the gap activities that people can do again to bring intergenerational dialogue to have intergenerational dialogue mm-hmm. communities you know which i think it's so important you know it didn't start this way i think mind the gap or i you know it was about sort of bringing generations together 
from um, our school programs and our audiences and obviously dialogue. But now I, I think intergenerational dialogue has become more important than ever, given how divided we are. It's so I think it's really, really strong. And I, I feel the same in this program because it, you've got, you know, professional working artists teaching artists who are also professional working artists working with young people to inspire them to be artists and to tell their authentic stories whatever is of interest of them and then so you've got the caretaking that's happening in in all sorts of ways the caretaking this like celebrating uplifting inspiration like all these things are pillars in this work um and it that to me is really inspiring like i'm inspired by what's happening on our stage i'm inspired by the artists that we bring in who create and i'm inspired by other artists so how can we meld all those those components in to give young people just new tools or different tools to be able to express themselves right and and potentially have you know others performing their work is just yeah. like I think that's really, I think it's very, very cool. <laughs> I hope it becomes like, exactly like I, what I, like I many see sides it. of the coin, the coin has multiple, so many sides. Exactly. There's so many sides. And I love that, like working with the teaching artists now who have a different, you know, they have a different way in that they're bringing like such richness to the bones and the skeleton that I, that has been sort of yeah. outlined and I and it's only been day one. Like later later this week, we'll have more, and so we'll see. I I I, I hope to invite you to the next event. <laughs> yes, yeah. My dream for the the my dream for the the youth company is that you know, um, they'll be working with I don't know professional artists to create the work. You know. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love that idea. That they're gonna be there's gonna be playwrights and professional creative yes. work for them. Yeah, could the incubator be working with? Yes, yes, yes. I say yes to that. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's exciting too. I w I wonder also if there's a, like a f you have an artistic fellow, don't you? Yes, we we have so, so many artistic fellows. We have an art, uh, two artistic administrative fellows, and then the six artistic fellows that are the playwrights and the 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 directors. So you know. Can I ask another question? This this yeah. this might be too much. So tell me if it's like, please don't. But I I am at a place where I'm like, I, I love where I work. I have no desire to necessarily be elsewhere. But like, what's what's next for you? What's I'm trying to figure out my own shiz. <laughs> I similarly feel the same way about the 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 workshop, right? You know, not that the opportunity hasn't come along to be in full transparency, you know, because mm -hmm. Once you're doing well, then people start to notice and yes. they're like, hey, but I don't think that the grass is greener always on the other side. I agree. I wait for I'm, I'm constantly. You ask me, like, what's it? What are you proud of? What are you excited? It's also like what puts a pit, like that pit of passion in your stomach that you don't know. You don't know it until it comes. And that, like, yeah, you can get recruited for something and, and it could be interesting. But if it doesn't have the pit, doesn't create that no I don't have time I don't have time for like just going for something because maybe it's more money or more prestige or a higher title like that's not that's not the thing for me <laughs> I feel like I've worked so hard to get us to this point that mm -hmm. now I'm like envisioning what we're gonna do when you know what I mean I, I mean I have like a thousand things that I think we could do that we can do better and then you know um and and, and again we've done so much 
as a department and as an institution to work in a culture that is, we love the space and want to make it better. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really have no patience for folks that haven't done any of this work. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. and, and so in a way, I and we have places to go. But I know instinctively that there's other places where the work is not as advanced or folks are not, they haven't begun. And so I just don't have that patience and I don't, I don't feel like this is the time in my life. Now, I think the larger question here is like, of where, where, you know, what's next? You know, I'm so excited about this, the, 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 the ensemble and this is the first year of the ensemble in person and so, <clears throat> sort of like the baby, yes. you know, and it's, it's going to be all kinds of messy, but I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about um, taking more artists into community and more partnerships and more conversations, the theater as an institution with the community, right? And we have a, a new um, artistic director, Patricia McGregor at New York Theater Workshop. Um, and she is, she really values um, the role of education and community engagement and, and theater and community. Um, she's from the Caribbean. She, you know, like me, she grew up in San Croix. So it has that appreciation for what <laughs> music and carnival and street performance and being in community. Um, and, um, you know, is really appreciative of, of, of creating that space. We actually had our opening night Today's closing day for American television, which is the first show of our season at the workshop. But we had our opening night, <clears throat> the day, the evening that Little Amal was going to walk East 4th Street. Ah. And so Patricia was, you know, really adamant that that we, we, we let's try to move our, our curtain time so that we can make space for Little Amal and mm. us in the community well you know welcoming her in east yeah. 4th street and oh, have our God. cast engage with little amal and this is you know this is something that obviously la mama and saint anne's were doing in our blog but it's so important for us to be part of the community right we were we were busy with our opening but somehow we you figured to create that. Space. and so that is you know <clears throat> that has been really lovely to 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 work with her already um on when creating space and dreaming and envisioning the again the role that the theater can have in communities so i'm excited about what's to come in that regard well i'm excited for people to hear this this conversation you have been a fantastic guest i've loved getting to hear you talk about your work your life um your passions it's been a real pleasure thank you courtney it's been a pleasure being with you. I'm so, I was like, when will I get an invitation? I just get it. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me. Thank you for um, um, this conversation. It's always really lovely. And I'm inspired by the work that I've always been a fan of the work that you've done at the new victory. And um, uh, so, um, and I love everybody there. So hugs to everybody and much success with, with the podcast as it continues. Thank you for listening to episode 58, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Alex Santiago Herao, Processing the Collective Scars. Join us next time for a conversation with Amanisha Ferdinand.
This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on to YouTube. Check out the teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now.